You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of webmasterradio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of webmasterradio.fm is prohibited. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot-button Internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on Internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good morning. This is Bennett Kelly with the Internet Law Center, uh, broadcasting live from Silicon Beach in Southern California. And um, it's good to be back from China. Um, sorry we weren't able to do a show from the People's Republic, but um, we got lots to talk about today. Um, starting with, it's political convention season, in case you haven't noticed. And today we're going to be talking about the political conventions particularly um, each party's internet platforms. We've heard a lot of talk about internet freedom at the Republican convention and even the Democratic convention. So what does it all mean? Um, So we have with us today um, Blake Waycaster. He's uh, the founder of the Atlanta-based Centennial Strategies, and he's joining us. And then in the second half hour, we're going to talk about China. Um, and the the wonders that it is. So um, we'll be um, we have Blake with us. Yeah, Blake. Um, I want to thank you for joining us. And uh, why don't you tell us about Centennial Strategies? Okay, great. Well, uh, appreciate you having me on, Bennett. Uh, we started Centennial Strategies this year. Me and another business partner, and um, 
it's mainly a you know it's a political consulting business but we also focus on um, social media for um, candidates nonprofit agencies um, uh, several legal businesses are in there as well and um, we've you know we've worked on races from state legislature races to congressional races so um, it's definitely still still an upstart business but um, you know we uh, we like where we're headed. We've had a pretty good political season, and um, it's uh, it's going well. It's, Atlanta's a great place to start. We're right in the heart of uh, Southern, you know, GOP politics, and uh, we wouldn't have it any other way. And just so you know, for listeners, yeah, you're, you're you're primarily a Republican consultant, or exclusively Republican consultant. We are an exclusively Republican consulting firm, and um, so in talking about political platforms, I mean the 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 first question is: Is who reads them? And so let's just let's find out right now, um, listeners. All those who read political platforms, please raise your hands now. See, I didn't think so. <laughs> That's is it. Radio fun, um, <laughs> but you know, kidding aside, um, you know, what what is the role of a political platform since it's all, sometimes the candidates even disagree with the, the platform that party adopts? Well, um, yeah, you're correct on that. And, uh, you know, from, from my perspective, I think um, the platform serves maybe not to, to show you where your, your presidential candidate is going to go with his campaign. I mean, obviously, on some of the, you know, hottest topics of the election, you know, Medicare and um, certain aspects of the economy, yeah, the uh, the platform can kind of serve to show you where the president's going to be going, but it's more, you know, as a whole, um, kind of trying to sum up where the party is at at the moment. And, uh, you know, in regards to who reads it, um, you, you know, your everyday voter who, you know, maybe watches, you know, an hour of the news and, you know, checks a couple blogs, they're not going to sit there and, you know, uh, go into every nuance of the platform, but um, I think that, you know, I think there are people um, from both sides, you know, in both, both parties that are interested to see not just where the president or the president presidential candidate is headed, but um, also, you know, to see where, you know, maybe their senators or, you know, congressmen, even local, local officials, you know, where, where they see the party going in, you know, the next four years and, um, kind of just get a feel for um, what you can expect from Republican or Democratic leaders, you know, in the next, in the, in the coming years. So the party platforms cover a, a number of areas, as you mentioned, Medicare, um, budget, taxes, defense, and this year, um, Internet issues. Yeah. And so tell me a little bit about the Republican plank on Internet issues. Okay, well, um, the the Republicans actually were the first ones to roll out the uh, their internet plank, as you mentioned. Um, the language is it's it's a little bit um, it leaves a little to be desired from both both parties because I think um, the you know the Republicans and the Democrats are kind of waiting to see where um, where issues will arise. You know, in the last few years we've had. Um, the Stop Online Piracy Act, and uh, you know that was a hot topic. That kind of brought internet freedom, as they're calling it today. 
right. to the maybe to the you know, I mean, not the forefront of the political spectrum, but um, it, it certainly got you know your your layman interested in um, how the government is regulating you know uh, what we you know private citizens do online, and so. Republicans have uh, basically they've hit on three points. They've um, they've said that first and foremost they want to remove regulatory barriers, which um, though it's not explicitly laid out in the plan, there um, that's in regard to the FCC government regulations on net neutrality, and that is where um, Republicans, Democrats are going to differ the most when it comes to their internet platform. Um, they're all, they've also touched on the International Telecommunications Union, which is part of the UN, which has um, kind of tried to step in and put some serious regulations on you know the global web, uh, anything from on websites to you know censorship as they deem fit, and uh, that's from both party sides. That's something they're both you know vehemently opposed to, which that that's the right move for both parties. Um, and then finally, it comes down to user privacy, which is probably the most important thing to people who are going to be looking at this issue when they're voting for, you know, president down ballot. Um, and that's going to, you know, that's going to relate to the stuff we talked about, the Online Piracy Act, the uh, Cyber Intelligence Sharing and Protection Act. And um, like, like I said, the parties aren't too much different there. They're both um, saying they're committed to protecting user privacy, but as we've seen, some of the policies and uh, bills proposed in the House and Senate, um, they may say they're, you know, they're looking out for uh, privacy, but we, we're kind of yet to see if, uh, if the actions will speak louder than the words, so to speak. Yeah, it doesn't seem that there is any consensus, really, um, among the parties on privacy. I mean that that's a starting point. Um, I think maybe the concept of privacy protection is agreed upon. I mean, which isn't very difficult to achieve. Um, but the question is, how do you do it, and to what extent is is there a regulatory mandate associated with it? I think that's kind of um, you know that 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 that's that's a nub of practically every issue. In terms of how the parties approach it, yeah, um, you know, President Obama has—he's um, enacted the first ever, I believe, military cybersecurity um, plan or uh, group, whatever you want to call it. And um, but you know, going back to some of the stuff we've seen, um, I, it's kind of hard for people to believe, you know, that user privacy is at the forefront of. Um, this administration, or you know, the um, the Republican the Republicans in the House at the moment, just because most of the bills proposed and the you know the regulations we've seen come up in the last couple of years kind of seem like they're you know the exact opposite of what what most people want when they're using the internet, and that's user privacy. So, so for example, you know, SOPA and CISPA. Um, yeah. That those type of th things that allow for increased sharing of information um, of, of consumer data and consumer practices. Yeah, and I mean, you know, those go back to um, politicians saying 
you know, we're going to use these for national security. But, you know, I think in theory, people like that. But then it comes down to the fact that once they have the information, you know, there's uh, they're not just going to say, oh, well, you know, we're, we're just going to toss this out now that we know you're you know, not a threat to national security. No, that's um, that's information that is the government's from then on. And I think um, that's, you know, that's what scares people. It's, uh, you know, infringement into private life um, for the sake of, you know, what they say is national security. But, you know, I think uh, the threat there is, um, is, is, doesn't really justify, you know, kind of the government overreach you would see of some of those that actually gone through. Now, in, 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 in this issue, there are different political forces within each party that are achieving the same result. Um, it seems like the, at least the, 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 the con, for lack of a better word, the content community, um, you know, the MPAA, the Motion Picture Association, the Recording Industry Association, um, you know, they're driving a lot, um, putting a lot of pressure on the Hill. And uh, at least in the Senate side, you know, Senator Leahy um, from the Judiciary Committee in the Senate um, has been fairly responsive to them and has pushed some of their legislation. Um, but then there's also some, some on the Republican side of the House who are doing the same. And uh, at the same time, there's also the um, on CISPA, there's kind of the Republican alliance with you know, some of the bigger business entities that want um, make sure they have immunity for sharing information. And uh, so it seems like there's different constituencies within each party pushing for a same result that may or may not be um, the one that the voters want. Yeah, and, you you know, like you you mentioned, the the Motion Picture Association, um, that's kind of, you know, uh, raised a little bit of a red flag to Republicans because – you know, maybe not so much your, you know, typical Republican, you know, typical straight down ballot Republican voters, but maybe younger conservatives who see, um, who see, you know, the Motion Picture Association um, heralding the Republican stance in the name of intellectual property. And, um, you know, in my opinion, there's not a lot of evidence that shows that uh, any sort of you know online threat to intellectual property is going to slow down these you know giant industries in America. Um, I think what what is a bigger issue is um, some of these entities you know getting getting more involved and in, you know kind of having their hand you know in the cookie jar. Like you know like you mentioned, there, there's a lot of hands in the cookie jar at the moment. And so, um, yeah, it's it's walking a tightrope for you know people on the hill, people representing their localities, um, to kind of differentiate between what's in the best interest of you know the giant telecom industry and what's best for their constituents, you know, the the private citizen. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that because we had on our show um, about three three months ago. The lawyer for Joel Tenenbaum, who was the um, college student who, who downloaded 31 songs and got hit with a $675,000 judgment. 
mm-hmm. um, as a result. And um, just this month, or last month in, in August, um, the court affirmed that decision. And so, um, you know, there you have a, a 675,000 judgment for 30 songs. And it really seems to doesn't sit well with a number of people. Um, what is the, your your take on that? I, personally, I, I find that yeah, I find that pretty ridiculous. I mean, um, just from a standpoint of you know a younger generation, that's something that um, you know it's something that younger generations have grown up with. I mean, it's uh, you know generation we have now you know coming up through college those those kids have been you know had access to you know streaming music or you know downloadable music movies books um and i think that's you know i think that's come that's that's brought not just you know the the web um you know the web and the industry surrounding that into a whole new era but i think you know a lot of um, artists whose materials are maybe being distributed on the web, I think it's kind of spurned a lot of um, kind of a revolution there where a lot of them are embracing it, but, you know, the larger industry that oversees that is kind of, you know, going against what maybe, um, you know, the actual artists or performers are in favor of. I, I don't think... Uh, you know, whoever he downloaded those song, songs from would necessarily think it warranted a, you know, upwards of, you know, over half a million dollar settlement against him. And, uh, you know, kind of going back to what we've said, I think it's, you know, it's a fine line between what's best for big business and what's best for the individual. And, you know, in that, in that instance, I think that's, um, I think that's definitely a, a pretty, pretty hard blow to uh, you know your everyday private citizen using the internet and it's um if you saw the list of songs i you know there i can't imagine there's any song that i would say it's worth paying twenty thousand dollars to download <laughs> but <laughs> i'm not sure not to criticize joel but i'm not sure if i would put uh, put any any of those on my near twenty thousand dollar list but but um but anyway, yeah, it's been gotten quite a lot of attention. Now, mm-hmm. on on the issue of um, net neutrality, that seems to be an issue where the, the parties have a great divergence. And I think one thing that, that often gets lost in this debate is that the, the net neutrality debate actually started under the Bush administration, and that when the uh, the the court first overturned the Obama administration's initial efforts on net neutrality. It was overturning a Bush administration um, order. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, how, 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 does, how does that reconcile with the, the frequent claim that we hear about Obama taking over the Internet when you know, he's really just it's a continuation of the prior policy? Well, um, first of all, I would uh, to that I would say that I would hope that a lot of leaders, you know, in the Republican Party and even your everyday voter aren't necessarily still aligning themselves with a lot of the Bush administration policies. Um, I think you know on that issue, yeah, I, I think it's uh, I think 
you know, you can point to that, that it is a continuation of a Bush administration policy. But I think, um, you know, two, two wrongs don't make a right, in my opinion. And I think that um, the net neutrality issues are something that, you know, I, I think it would be a great step for President Obama in this, you know, in, on this certain issue to maybe, you know, step away from, from backing those so fervently just because, you know, there's so many people who, who see so many holes in it, you know. I think a lot of people, at its core, it's a, it's a question of the Internet being private property. Um, you know, telecommunications companies have spent billions of dollars on the network infrastructure all over the world, and they did that in the hopes, you know, to bring broadband and um, internet services to anybody willing to pay for them. And so I think it's more, you know, even though it is a continuation of a Bush administration policy, I think um, it's more of a nonpartisan issue than, you know, talking heads would have you believe. I think think that it's just something that – that kind of hold, holds us back as a, you know, as a society as we move forward with the web being so integral to our everyday life. I think um, bringing government regulation into what is essentially private property is, I, I just don't think it's good for anybody. So the, the private property is, is what? Well, I mean, the internet as a whole, I believe, is private property. I think, um, you know, the telecom companies that have built the infrastructure are the ones, you know, that, that, that are supplying it. And, um, I think it's become so integrated in our life that we kind of think, well, anyone has the right to it. Well, I mean, in a sense that's true, but, um, it's still being, it's still a service being provided by private companies. And, um, I'd like to see it remain that way. And I think, um, you know, so to speak, the the hand of the market will kind of kind of guide um, the direction. I mean, people people like to say, you know, well, the internet is a place where people can kind of be duped or kind of be taken advantage of. Well, that's that's true. You know, um, a free society gives people the freedom to do stupid stuff or malicious stuff or you know to be wrong, but I think it also gives people the freedom to decide who they want to do business with. And I think, um, any sort of socialized internet takes away from that and, uh, you know, turns it over to politicians and lobbyists. And I just don't think that internet in the hands of the government is, uh, is in the best interest of anyone. Well, I'm being lobbied to take a break right now. So we're, um, We'll be back um, after these messages. You're listening to Cyber Law and Business Report. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Are you losing money because of a poorly designed website? Frustrated by low conversion rates on your online campaigns? Then come to Conversion Conference East 2012. Brasco here for WebmasterRadio.fm inviting you to Conversion Conference East 2012, October 9th and 10th in my backyard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Learn strategies used by the world's top conversion, usability, and testing experts to turn more clicks into customers. Immerse yourself in two days of interactive learning from 33 breakout sessions and three incredible keynotes 
from landing page optimization guru Tim Ash, conversion scientist Brian Massey, and the brain lady Susan Weinshank. Here's exciting news. You'll save $500 if you register as an early bird on or before September 7th. WebmasterRadio.fm listeners get an additional 10% discount on your pass. When you register online at conversionconference.com with the promo code WMFM. Don't be left out. Join us at Conversion Conference East 2012, October 9th through 10th in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Go to conversionconference.com or click on the Conversion Conference logo on the webmasterradio.fm website now. Oh, yeah. My day is done. Time for happy hour. You're already done for the day? Yeah, because I use certifiedknowledge.org. Their PPC tools literally save me hours every day. How do you keep on top of all of Google's new features? Easy. With Certified Knowledge, their interactive learning modules keep me up to date. And if there's something I don't know, I can watch their video lessons without having to hunt around the Google help files. Great. I'm ready to expand my knowledge. Hi, I'm Brett Geddes. I'm the only leader officially supported by Google to teach the advanced track of the AdWords Seminars for Success. I personally recommend CertifiedKnowledge.org as your one-stop shop for all your PPC needs. Learn. Optimize. Connect. Be smart. Go to CertifiedKnowledge.org now. How far do your ads reach? You don't have to fly around the world for the right consumers and clients to find your business. What you need is profit through performance. Location 3 Media helps you to increase your brand's findability and performance. Let Location 3 Media help you create efficient and effective online marketing campaigns that fit your needs and get you results. We know every click starts a journey. Where will your brand be on the path? Visit Location3Media.com. Blog, blog, blog. WebmasterRadio.fm. We're the talk of the town. WebmasterRadio.fm. Thanks for listening. WebmasterRadio.fm. We're everywhere. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. And we're back. This is Bennett Kelly. We got Blake Waycaster um, from Centennial Strategies in Atlanta. We we're talking about the internet platforms of both parties' conventions. And it's interesting when you uh, when you initially talk about platforms in this community, the initial thought is that we're talking about you know different variant you know web vehicles or. You know, delivery vehicles are not not the traditional sense of a political platform. I had to explain that to a number of people. Didn't get, and, uh, it's kind of interesting. Uh, normally, um, in a non-tech setting, people would understand political platform to mean uh, than what we would normally expect it to mean. Did you? Does that ever come up with you, Blake? Um, could you could you explain that a little? Sure. You know? You know, when we in, in tech, you know, a platform is a, you know the, the way you deliver certain information. You, know, you deliver it either on the web or um, you know the cloud or through email. Mm. It's an ASP. It's a software or whatever. And um, versus um, you know, political platform just being this this kind of standard term that's been the political jargon for centuries. Um, you know, really, I I, I haven't. Um personally encounter that much just because um what, what you find you know at, at a lower level of politics is that most people are 
are pretty well informed and um, you know the the people who vote in you know smaller elections are going to be people who know their stuff you know more or less and so um, you know and especially here in Georgia which has you know and I, and I work with Republicans it's got a a rich political heritage here and so I, I find a lot of people um, you know and I'm also dealing with an older sect of voters a lot of the times because you know uh, traditionally GOP voters are a little bit older than Democratic voters so no I, I find a lot of people um, that I come in contact with are really up to date a lot of them you know read through the whole platform and they'll say to me you know oh well, I really like this you know their stance on this issue but not so much in this one and so at a local level you know I'm, I'm usually pleasantly surprised at, at how um, how up to speed and how integrated um, and how seriously you know voters take um, not just maybe their candidates issues but you know the whole party the whole party's issues and I find that most people um, or you know at least that I come in contact with are, are pretty you know they know their stuff now we were talking about the the internet portion of the platform, and you know you were talking. You, you obviously you, you were talking about the demographics of some of the people that you work with, mm-hmm. and then just you know the 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 age element of that. Are internet issues um, do they cut across demographics, or are there certain demographics of those who really care about that? Well, I I don't think there. I don't think these issues are really cutting across you know every demographic yet um i think the you know the generation of voters that you know in the age range of you know 55 to 80 somewhere in there which make up you know um the baby boomers and then a generation up which make up a a big portion of the electorate right now i don't think this is really a hotbed issue for them at the moment i think um I think both parties, they're, um, they're concerned, you know, the older generation is concerned with uh, the future of health care. And I think the, you know, baby boomers and, uh, you know, maybe a little bit younger are, are mainly concerned with um, the state of the economy. I do, you know, I do think that this is an issue that is, that really hits home for, people who maybe are just starting to vote, you know, people 18 to 30 and I, who have, you know, kind of grown up with the web, I think um, for them, this is an issue that they may start to take a look at. I, I think this election, we're kind of going to see, you know, we've, we've heard it cast as a healthcare referendum or, you know, an economy referendum election. Um, I, I think, the internet platform will kind of take a back seat to that, and I, I think, um, I think it may be be true, you know, in the near future, you know, more of the same. But I think as commerce picks up across the internet and it's proliferating at a speed that no one ever predicted, I think, um, I think this will eventually become, you know, one of the it'll kind of become an issue that's integrated with. Um, other economic questions that voters are typically typically going to have when they're you know looking into their candidates or looking to cast their vote. Well, I would think because your approach to the internet would presumably would be consistent with your approach to other aspects of economic activity. So, 
to the extent yeah. that it, your your approach to the internet raises issues, it likely raises issues in other aspects as well. Yeah, and some of the stuff we've already talked about, you know, user privacy or um, like you just mentioned, um, commerce across the web. Those are those are things that are going to be more integrated in the future, and they're already integrated with uh, the web. You know, web commerce and user privacy is already integrated with questions about the economy as a whole, or you know, government oversight as a whole. And so, I think um, I think the speed of of how fast the internet grows is going to really dictate the importance of that question more so than, you know, maybe the age of voters or, you know, the election cycle. I think kind of like what you just mentioned, I think um, they're, they're kind of going to go hand in hand in the future. Well, what about the question of expanding access to the internet, expanding the broadband? Because we are, you know, falling behind. At one point we were in the top three in the world in terms of broadband um, penetration, and now I believe we're 17th. Yeah, um, the Obama administration, I believe, inherited a 95% coverage uh, across the nation. And um, I know that, you know, uh, figures vary slightly, but I know that uh, both parties agree that somewhere in the 97.5 to, you know, 98 percentile is what we want to get to um, sooner rather than later. I think, uh, I, I believe, about $7 billion of the um, of the stimulus package went to broadband proliferation, but we haven't uh, we haven't seen much increase there. And uh, of course, the Republican response to that is, well, if we you know free up some of the restrictions on um, on you know telecom industry, that maybe. That will solve the problem, but as it stands right now, I, I don't think either party really has a grasp on maybe you know a solution that is going to get us anywhere above where we are right now. I think um, I think you know both sides are kind of not not at a loss, but I think um, both sides are looking for a better solution than what we have now, and I, I don't think either either party has a solution at the moment. Well, um, it's been interesting having you. I want to thank you for joining us. If people want to find out more information about you, where, where can they find it? Uh, we're at centennial-strategies.com. That's our website. It'll have all our contact information. My cell number is on there. So um, hopefully after being on your show, it'll, it'll start ringing a little bit more. Okay. Um, I, I hope that's true for you. And um, so best of luck to you in the election. And uh, – I want to thank you for joining us again, so please check them out, and uh, we'll be back after these messages. Great. Thanks for having me, Bennett. Thank you. Cheers. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. How much time do you spend on SEO research and competitor analysis? What if we told you that there was an easier, faster way? Searchmetrics SEO software propels you to top positions on search engines around the world with our unique global search, social, and competitive data in over 60 countries. Gain a competitive advantage today with Searchmetrics.com. That's Searchmetrics.com. 
Digital World Expo 2012 returns to the Mirage Hotel and Casino Event Center in Las Vegas, September 27th through the 29th. Join hundreds of internet marketing professionals and learn how to grow your business during three days of non-stop networking. Learn the best steps and best practices for mobile marketing, augmented reality, search engine optimization, social media, internet advertising, and over 30 more topics at this powerful event. Network with professionals from all over the country and learn how to beat your competition by attracting new customers through interactive media channels. Whether you are a seasoned pro or a newbie, all of our educational tracks are structured for all levels of understanding and marketing backgrounds. If your focus is brand awareness, online revenue, or staying on top of today's new media channels, then don't miss Digital World Expo 2012, September 27th through the 29th at the Mirage Hotel and Casino Event Center in Las Vegas. Register now at digitalworldexpo.com. That's digitalworldexpo.com. Building better search engine rankings takes the right formula. Tracking those rankings is super simple. All you need is authoritylabs.com. Authority Labs uses automated daily rank tracking tools to monitor your site's performance or leverage their API to build your own tools. No matter what animal-labeled algorithms affect your ranking, you should be using Authority Labs. Unlimited users for no additional cost and white labeling can help keep your clients updated and save countless hours of creating reports. Whether you're running sites with just a few or millions of keywords, what you need is AuthorityLabs.com. Oh yeah, my day is done. Time for happy hour. You're already done for the day? Yeah, because I use CertifiedKnowledge.org. Their PPC tools literally save me hours every day. How do you keep on top of all of Google's new features? Easy. With Certified Knowledge, their interactive learning modules keep me up to date. And if there's something I don't know, I can watch their video lessons without having to hunt around the Google help files. Great. I'm ready to expand my knowledge. Hi, I'm Brad Geddes. I'm the only leader officially supported by Google to teach the advanced track of the AdWords Seminars for Success. I personally recommend CertifiedKnowledge.org as your one-stop shop for all your PPC needs. Learn. Optimize. Connect. Be smart. Go to CertifiedKnowledge.org now. Don't get caught in a web of confusion. Learn the ropes on WebmasterRadio.fm. We're everywhere. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. And we're back. This is Bennett Kelly um, for the final segment of Cyber Law and Business Report um, for today. And um, we're going to um, cover um, a little bit about this, my trip to China, but I just wanted to give you some updates. Today is the 40th anniversary of the um, tragedy in Munich. Um, the, the Israeli hostages were, were, excuse me, the Israeli athletes were taken hostage um, 40 years ago today in Munich and the Olympics and um, killed the next day in the tragic shootout at the airport. Um, we were fortunate enough, as you may recall, to have Tom McMillan on the show um, recently to talk about you know, his recollection of being at those games and, uh, and with what was it like to be a, a, a fellow Olympian, you know, during such a tragedy. And uh, so that was 40 years ago today. And um, in addition, today is also um, 
the anniversary of the assassination attempt by former Manson family member Squeaky Fromm. Uh, in 1975, she pulled a gun and um, had hoped to um, shoot President Ford, but never got the, got a shot off. Um, and notable birthdays today include um, Bill Mazeroski, the first person to hit a walk-off home run to win the World Series, and um, as well as he is 76, and Raquel Welch, uh, the the um, the sex symbol of the 70s, who was the the Farrah Fawcett of her day, um, turned 72, and um, Michael Keaton who many remember from Mr. Mom and Batman, he turned 60 today. So, um, Brasco, do you have any comments on Mr. Mom? Well, well um, I'm not, well, uh... You're a fan. Yeah, no, I mean, I've watched Mr. Mom like 9 million times. Batman, the verse, the very first version with the uh, Joel Schumacher, or Tim Burton directing that version of Batman, wasn't bad for its time. I actually appreciated it. Michael Keane's done a lot of good movies. I mean, it's just a matter of a uh, Gung Ho is a great movie. Like he was really good at the uh, the snarky comedies, very early yes. on in the eighties. <clears throat> and then, of course, there were just other movies. But it was just a matter of. Um, and then he's played some darker roles too. I remember. I mean, I remember he also played a good scumbag cop in Jackie Brown, the Quentin Tarantino movie. Um, and Pacific Heights, he Pacific was very Heights. menacing in yeah. that. I mean, the thing is just that he's had a knack of always being able to stick around. Lots of movies have been around forever. I mean, it's amazing. And as for Raquel Welch, um, you were bringing up before, I want to talk about somebody that's still like eternally still not bad looking for 72 years old. No, and not no. even so much the 70s. It was also the 60s because there was country movies or the, uh, they had the country western movies, um, <laughs> One Million Years B.C., the original. I mean, there was... That's that. That movie actually was the one that put her on the map, wasn't it? That was her breakout. And then don't forget the cinematic classic, Kansas City Bomber. Right, right. Introducing everybody to roller derby <laughs> was pretty funny. But you know, there's somebody that's been around that's uh, you know, and everybody, you know, you, this is like somebody that women have like uh, have adored to be because you're asking yourself, you know, like women, you know, getting up in age, you know, how do you keep yourself, uh, uh, you know, at such a you know, still somebody that's just still somewhat alluring, still somewhat attractive after so many years. Maintenance, you know, what I mean, to keep that kind of like a youthful look because she doesn't look her age. Well, I think I think she did workout videos and um, after Jane Fonda in the eighties, yeah. I think she was uh, the the second kind of eighties hit video wonder. Yeah, I mean, but, she's uh, gone through a lot. So, um, I want to talk a little bit about. China and uh, as you may recall, I uh, was invited to participate in the 17th U.S.-China Legal Exchange. It was uh, it's a joint effort um, organized by the U.S. Department of Commerce and the People's Republic of China's um, Ministry of Commerce. And so, for three days in um, the cities of Harbin. Uh, which is the um, a northern city um, home to the Harbin Institute of Technology, which is more or less China's MIT or Caltech, depending on your your favorite term. Um, and then uh, we traveled to Beijing, um, its capital, and then finally to a town called Guiyang, 
which is in uh, the southwest part, um, major retail hub. Walmart has facilities there, and um, that's where we concluded. So for three days, um, representatives from the U.S. Patent Office, um, the Federal Trade Commission, and some private sector lawyers like myself, um, someone from uh, the Shanghai office of Hogan Lovell, and um, the uh, Associate General Counsel of eBay. We all made presentations on the status of uh, the latest developments in e-commerce law in the U.S. And it, it was a useful exercise because China's Internet is evolving. Um, although they're, they're fast about to become the biggest um, e-commerce market, you know, their, their legal structures are, are, are just evolving now and they're still kind of in that early stage of building confidence among consumers in the Internet. What was interesting is while I was there, there was a major price war going on between two major websites. And the biggest question going on in consumers' minds was would they honor the prices? There was just a general assumption that there has to be some trick here. Someone's going to, be, someone's going to pay the price and it will be the consumer. And so I don't know where that lack of trust comes from, whether that's just systemic or from people's belief that they live in a corrupt society or whether it is just a, a distrust of business or whether it's been born out of actual experience on the Internet. But it was somewhat telling that that was happening while we were there, and it, it did come up in some of the questioning. But the other thing that was telling was that in talking about um, our approach to the Internet, it's interesting to the to the extent that we get this far down the road and seeing the success we've had, there's, there's, there's almost like a, a salutary um, aspect to it in that you realize, you know, we, we've done a pretty good job. Um, one of the highlights of Internet regulation in the United States has been what is often called a, a light touch. Um, governments regulated as little as possible, but, you know, there have been sometimes when it's been required. You know, for example, such as dealing with um, child privacy or such as dealing with spam or other type of issues. And, um, and so where we've done it, we seem to have done it well enough without going too far. And um, where we've shown restraint seems to have been um, to the benefit um, of the Internet. And particularly, you know, a lot of emphasis was placed on the um, the provisions of the Communications Decency Act, which provides immunity to websites um, for third-party content, um, which has allowed the Internet to flourish and, and offer robust debate. And so um, looking at it from, you know, from the other side of the continent, you know, looking at it from the view on the other side of the Pacific Ocean, you know, there was kind of a recognition that we've done a decent job, at least, in that. Um, the other thing that was interesting was that, um, you know, China is just, uh, we hear so much about the, the Great Wall, um, Firewall of China. And uh, by the way, I did get a chance to go to the Great Wall of China, and it is, it is a sight to see. And if you do get the chance to go, you should. But um, with all the talk about the Great Firewall of China, um, even with censorship and even with the screening that may occur, what I was hearing was that there still is significant and lively and robust debate going on in social media today in China. 
and that you only know, can scan out so much, and that with with all that is left, you have debate at a level uh, never seen before in Chinese history, and so this is actually a very exciting time in China for that very reason. You have this. The country is clearly coming into itself. You, you get a sense of pride、um, in the people talking about the country, and you know, they're, they're emerging as a power, an economic power, and、um, and then you have this happening, which you know, who knows what it could lead to? Whether it could lead to、um, greater reforms, or whether it actually might lead to some、um, disruption in in terms of the relationships with the government. Um, that's to be seen, but it is as,、um, interesting to hear、um, from people in China about the, their belief and their the vibrancy of the debate that is going on in social media. And、um, but there's one thing that's a definite takeaway from any trip to China, and, and that is that it、um, you can never use the word big again. In the United States, in the same way,、um, you know, Beijing is a city of almost 20 million people.、Uh, we went to the town of Guiyang, which you might know, people would, were talking about like it was some, you know,、um, desert backwater in the, you know, something akin to、uh, a frontier town near Vegas or something. When in reality, it was、uh, over three million people, and it was quite a, a vibrant town. And so, you know, their idea of small is quite different than ours, and everything in China just is so enormous, and there's so many people, and there's so much activity going on.、Um, it just they're going to alter a lot of things, a lot of perceptions. Of、uh, I think if you go there, your perception of big changes forever. But、um, you know, their cities are huge and growing. And、um, I think you know there a number of the the top 100 cities in the world are in China, and that will number will surely grow.、Um, so it's definitely a, a lively and booming place, and they're about to surpass the U.S. in、um, uh, the e-commerce market.、Um, while the United States, this is from a recent、um, report by.、Um, By an、um, internet retailer, while the United States remains the world's single biggest e-commerce market,、um, the interactive media and retail group says, followed by the UK and J- Japan,、um, growth rates in those countries will be approximately 10 to 15 percent a year. But with China's e-commerce sales growing more than 130 percent in 2011. It's only a matter of time before the Asian giant becomes the single largest market in the world. So、um, it's definitely an exciting area. It's a booming area. I've put up on the blog ilccyberreport.wordpress.com、um, some some of the materials from the trip in terms of some of the video footage and some of the presentation we made.、Um, I just like to th- take the opportunity to thank. Um, the Department of Commerce for the opportunity to go, and I want to thank the, the Chinese people and the the,、um, the Ministry of Commerce for their warm reception that they've given all of us.、Um, it was a lot of fun, and、uh, I think you know if you get that opportunity, where if you have a business ability to go to a different culture, particularly one that's is you have certain obvious barriers, language.
Um, not only is it this language, but it's language and an alphabet we don't use. <laughs> and so uh, it's, I'm, it's, um, I'm glad to be back, of course. It's, it was a long trip, but um, it definitely it makes you look at things in a different way. So, um, but we got a lot to be talking about this fall. There's going to be, um, from what I heard from the FTC, they're going to have some busy stuff coming up. Um, they're definitely following up on some of the workshops that, we, and that we've been following this year. So look for some more activity from the FTC. And uh, we definitely have some interesting developments in terms of the Google, excuse me, the, the Samsung Apple um, patent trial and that, that verdict in terms of what that means. So there's going to be, um, it's going to be interesting uh, a couple of weeks up ahead as we lead up to the election. And uh, I'll be, be talking more about that before then. But um, I just wanted to thank you for joining us today. And uh, well, we do have a convention question. Go ahead. Well, that's just for me, just for person, because, uh, you know, we've talked about the election, you know, we have, not, you know, not in the network itself exhaustively. I mean, we did get to talk about it today from a certain mm-hmm. standpoint. My only question is, you know, you and me personally, have you really paid attention to the conventions that much? And with the, uh, really, to me, it's like we've been overhauled with the Republican primary all the way up to now. I mean, have we gotten exhausted from, like, watching all this coverage, and do we only just care about Mitt Romney and Barack Obama debating each other? Is that all that matters at this point? Are you guys just <laughs> I think uh, Honestly. You, you, you're showing a, the uh, the effect of TVR. You, you want to <laughs> just skip the commercials and go right to the end. But can I tell um, you, all I want is the debates right now. I really could care... Like I, and I still watch it, but I mean, it's gotten very long and winded, and like it's taken forever to get to this point. And it's like let's get to the debates because I want to finally see who takes each other out, and basically, like the the, the you know the actual facts, the actual policies, the plans are going to be laid out. That's what I want, and we haven't well, heard any of that yet. A little bit about history here, and normally this up until nine eleven. The um, the party out of power held their convention in um, July, so late July, and then you know the early August, you know there was people traveling, and and then in mid to late August, the party in power had their their convention. So it didn't matter you know which party it was, whoever was in party, whatever party was in power went last. And so um, when 9-11 came, the, uh, the Bush administration decided they wanted to emphasize that, so they moved their convention in September, which then moved things back. And I don't know why Romney moved his convention so far back. Um, I think it was a mistake. It didn't give him very much time to enjoy a bounce, since he immediately is followed up by a quick rebuttal by Obama. Um, and I think it also has the effect of what you're saying. So, um, you know, I actually think Romney would have been better served by the other schedule. I think the only thing that also got served by anybody at that convention last week was Clinton Eastwood got a little promotion for his movie coming up. That's all anybody remembers at all from the from the convention. I mean, there might have been some nice speeches, but no substance. And I'm a, and I'm a conservative, more or less conservative, uh, you know, towards the middle. But seriously, like. What was being said that really matters to me? There's no urgency about the economy and all this. We just saw, you know, Clint Eastwood make a nice little joke about Obama being an empty suit and an empty chair. That's about it. So what is his new movie? <laughs> oh, um, it's a new baseball. He's a baseball recruiter. I forget what's called. Um, 
Oh, yes, I saw that. And his daughter. Uh, Amy Adams in it, Justin Timberlake's in it, and I forget what the movie is right now, but that, you know, people can just look it up for Clint Eastwood's new movie and they can find out and Google it. So there you go. Yeah, you bet. Trouble with a Curve, I believe, is the name of it, is, but don't quote me. I think that's what it is, yes. Yeah. So. That's all, that's all it did. I mean, Clint got some got some publicity, and they talked about, it and the, you know, Democrats decided to go ahead and blast all over it because whatever, and that's all that came out of it. So you know, and they didn't vet his speech too. That was the weird thing. Oh no, yeah, no ad lib. That's something ad-lib. people are very careful about. Yeah, they should have. Uh, they should have had not scripted, maybe some bullet points, but it was it kind of tightened it up a little bit. It was a little too long and winded. So, still like Clint's to like all his movies. So that's okay. Well, I, heard, I didn't see Hoover, but I heard it wasn't that good. What, uh, J. Edgar? Yeah. Oh, no, no, loved it. It was great. It was great, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, Leo was fantastic in it, and you can't complain. I loved the movie. It was a good job. Well, well done. Well, uh, what would recommend we'll, it? We'll give you the final word then. Um, so the uh, from the studios in Fort Lauderdale, just a few few hundred miles south of the J. Edgar Hoover building in Washington, D.C. from the um, Internet Law Center here in Santa Monica in Silicon Beach, California. Um, we're wishing you all a, a happy weekend, and um, we'll see you next week. This is Bennett Kelly with Cyberlaw Business Report. Uh, be sure to check us out on iTunes and download, um, and uh, we'll see you next week. Anyhow. This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.WebmasterRadio.fm. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.